sit back, relax, you got nothing to lose. What do you think I'm about to show you? The female of the species is more deadly than a male. Deadly. Only a movie, you can say it again. Just wait till you see what I did at the end. The female of the species is more deadly than a male. The female of the species is more deadly. Hello, everyone, and welcome to More Deadly, the director's cut, where we speak with the women-identified directors who are making the horror movies that we love so much. More Deadly is a trans-inclusive podcast. We celebrate the work of cis and trans women, as well as non-binary filmmakers who are comfortable being included in a space that centers the work of women. Joining me to talk about uh, women-directed horror and to speak with a wonderful director today is the lovely Ariel. Hi. Hey, girl. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah. How have you been? I've been awesome. What have yeah. you been up to? What I mean... weirdness <laughs> can you share with the, with the audience today? No, I actually don't have any weirdness to show. That pro- share that probably is the weird thing for me, so. Yeah, I guess that quiet. is the outlier. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No odd bodkins flashing you. And I mean, luckily, no, but the sun came out today, so cruisers. I fear that I am in for a doozy. Nudity now. is imminent. Anytime the sun comes out in the Pacific Northwest, yep. sun's out <laughs> People in my neighborhood and literal buns out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad you're doing okay. <laughs> um, and I await whatever will unfold as the uh, creepers thaw. I'll keep you um, <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into what we're talking about today because uh, I think this episode stand, this interview stands on its own. You yeah. know, normally I I need you to bring that thunder of weirdness from <laughs> the Pacific Northwest, but today we don't even need it. You don't even need it because this is going to be so good. We are going to be chatting with the incredible Christine Chen, the director of Ursley, a new mermaid horror film. Let's yep. go with that. Uh, that is now out on video on demand. So before we get into that, though, I would love to know a little bit about this filmmaker. You did the research for this one. So tell me about Christine. Yeah, so Christine actually fell in love with filmmaking as a kid when she got her hands on a VHS camcorder in 1993, which I love. Yeah, She then went on to get a BA from Rice University and an MBA from the University of Texas McCombs. Now, Mm -hmm. she has a very extensive career. She has been working in film for over a decade, including as a first director, writer, editor, actor, producer, and of course, a director. Um, She's directed documentaries, episodes of television shows, and more than a dozen short films. On top of that, (laughs) she has also started her own production company called Moth to Flame Films. Such a great name. I know, right? (laughs) It's really good. Yeah. And she co-authored a book called Get Realisms, spelled R-E-E-L, which is a guide for filmmakers, and it includes Mm -hmm. a ton of detailed information about what to expect on set. So not just how to make a film, but like all of the different things that you might not know if you've never been on a film set. Mm. Um, Her first feature-length film is called Fun Employment. It came out in 2019. It's a dark comedy about (laughs) post-grad. She's very good with the naming She really is, yeah. (laughs) It's about uh, post-grads navigating the startup world and dealing with burnout. And mm. that's supposed to be pretty funny. Can't so, imagine what that would feel like. Right? <laughs> Cannot identify. <laughs> so Ursula, the film we're talking about today, is her second feature-length film that she's directed. And it's her first horror movie. And mm. she has said that she wanted it to remind people of the adventures of the Goonies or the thrill of sleepovers when you were a kid. Rad. Which I love. Rad. And I think you get a little bit of both of those in this film. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was also a huge fan of mermaids as a kid, particularly The Little Mermaid, the movie. And although this is a much darker take on that, I think that her love of mermaids comes through. This is a little more like Hans Christian Andersen. A little bit more, yes. Disney. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's what I got. Awesome. Well, she sounds rad. And I'm not saying that because I, through the movie magic of movie making, 
have already spoken with her. <laughs> of course not. Uh, yeah, so let me tell you a little bit about this movie. First of all, we are not going to spoil it. I'm, this is a no-spoiler synopsis, but just to give you an idea of what type of movie we're talking about, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what it's about. So it follows four friends, Wendy, Violet, Faye, and Ari, who go to a cabin on the bayou for a little girls' weekend getaway, which... God, that sounds amazing. It does sound amazing right now. <laughs> I want to go to that right now. Even if I have to deal with a killer mermaid, like just the idea of being in a cabin with my girlfriends. Yeah. I deal with bugs and everything. Right? Mm, the <laughs> bugs are a little bit of a drawback. I said that right a little too quickly there. Mm. I mean, I guess, honestly, if, if you give me enough to drink, I'll forget about the bugs. So yeah, so they're going away. They want to get away from their problems, as we all do. But since this is a horror movie, it doesn't go exactly to plan. They Things go awry when they, you know, summon Ursley, <laughs> the swamp mermaid goddess, who is driven by a passion for revenge on uh, men. So <laughs> things get gruesome very quickly, and it's a lot of fun. So... It was fun to talk to her about this. I, I was really looking forward to kind of talking about how she approached a revenge narrative. So I think it's really different than you typically see. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we both love a good monster movie, right? I mean, yeah, I love a creature feature. And the fact that this one also deals with revenge, which is a subject we enjoy seeing on film, is great. <laughs> We like angry women in film. This is shocking. Right? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Awesome. Well, enough of us talking. Let's get into our interview with Christine Chin. Well, first of all, just I just want to say like congratulations on the film. I know making a film is such a huge accomplishment um, and it's such a long process and then suddenly it's out there. Uh, And (laughs) how is it? How has it been for you to finally have audiences seeing it for the first time? It's really exciting. It's really fun to see people's reactions. I mean, for the longest part, it was me in a dark room by myself laughing to myself. (laughs) 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 And so it's nice, like, finally seeing, like, oh, good, people are laughing at the right spots. And and they're, you know, the, the... just watching people's reactions is is, is fun and then and then mm-hmm. the end hearing people be like oh i love this part i love this part and that's it's fun to i guess relive the film again through the audience's um just reactions because mm-hmm. i mean i've watched this film so many <laughs> of course <laughs> that's so awesome Well, we love that your film is focused on a mermaid. And one of the things that we notice is most creature features are usually focused on male, you know, monsters. So what is it like to, why did you decide to make a female monster at the center of your movie instead? Well, because what you said, most films are male monsters and, and I wanted uh, the, the female revenge film that you know, that's not out there with yeah. the female monster, because I think there's this, you know, beast inside of all women that where we're like, we get to the point where we're so mad at mm-hmm. guys. And like, this is my, like every dude that I've been mad at put into one revenge. Monster. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and I don't know, I just wanted something that um, just, you know, back in the day for, for my uh, growing up, um, it was the craft or these other Mm -hmm. sisterhood, um, films that you watch with your friends. I wanted that for the next generation and, um, that nineties sleepover slumber party, but like where each character, somebody hopefully you can identify with. And then, um, relive with your friends and then once you've adulted and hate life you'll come back with those same friends you watch the film with and relive those happy memories you know so yeah. I just I really wanted something different yeah. yeah as you're saying that there's like lots of levels of wish fulfillment in this movie and some of it is just like having that weekend with your girlfriends you know like yep. before you even get into the revenge which by the way like I love how it's kind of it, it goes into that revenge place without the typical sort of setup for the revenge. Like it's yeah. a societal kind of assault yes. um, that gets revenge against, which is, I think, really interesting. I really like that about the movie quite a bit. Um, I also read that 
the uh, sort of the origin or the idea for for the mermaid was actually based on a real uh, Haitian voodoo Haitian. goddess. Can yes. you tell us a little bit about that inspiration, like how you found out about it and sure. how you pulled from that? Um, yeah. Yeah. When, when I first wrote it, it was, none of that was applied. It was a little later with the research. Um, I credit that a lot to my co-writer, Camille Gladney. She did a lot of the research and Louisiana was, has always been something that I've they, there's a lot of folklore involved mm-hmm. that I've been really fascinated with, New Orleans, voodoo, and we just happened upon Ursley, who is a protector of women and children. She is an Haitian goddess, and uh, sometimes she gets lumped in with another goddess called Mami Wata, who mm-hmm. is actually half uh, human, half fish. And so we kind of did our own meld together yeah. and, you know, interpreted it as mermaids. So uh, it's What's really neat is our uh, lead actress, Layla, who plays Ursley, did a lot of her own research. She even learned Haitian Creole and uh, inputted that into the film. So a lot of the chants, the Creole that's in there, she brought to the table and those weren't actually written into this original script. She did the, the, yeah, it's amazing. So she took lessons. She, so she, um, and I think that's what makes the film very special. Um, mm-hmm. Every single way we wanted to honor the culture and make sure that from the makeup to the look to everything that we weren't, you know, appropriating anything. Right. And we consulted a uh, voodoo priestess actually to make sure we understand, you know, why do we have these facial markings and what does this mean right. and everything. And um, she actually, the lady that we consulted um, she actually showed up to her screening in Shreveport and just like started crying and bawling because she was like, this is oh, an actual representation of our culture. And, that's I, so nice. and for that, I feel like that means so much to me that they, she would think this way. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, talk so about cool. a culture that doesn't get good representation. Typically yeah. <laughs> that must have been incredible. No that's, that's awesome yeah. that you were able to put that much thought and research into it and that you were able to collaborate with the actor. So smoothly to be able to you know add all this additional stuff to the movie that's really impressive and I love the creature design I mean she is beautiful but she also looks powerful you know and Mm -hmm. strong and I just love Mm -hmm. that about it but I also wanted to know you made an indie budget I assume on an indie movie budget you know (laughs) a small budget so how were you able to pull off that mermaid tail? Because it looked pretty great, I have to say. Yeah, yes. it did. <laughs> yes. So I knew of a place in Austin that does special effects that uh, had done mermaid tails before. I really wanted to have that creature fe- creature f- feel. And so mm-hmm. alligator, um, a mm-hmm. lot of the Louisiana native, you know, uh, reptilian life and stuff I wanted to incorporate in there. I would just show a lot of pictures. But a lot of budget was dedicated to this one tail that we have. We only have <laughs> one tail. Oh, um, oh man. One, yeah, one and one only. And it was like this little precious thing. Yeah. That we could, like, you know. Did you have like a tail wrestler, wrestler that like always yeah, we did. It. Yeah. We were just <laughs> out because if anything happened to it, like we would be screwed. We literally had this only one tail. It was the same thing with um, uh, my makeup department head, Roxy McDaniel. She, she was very conservative with, you know, the prosthetics that she used and everything because a lot of those prosthetics were not reusable. And so we calculated exactly how many sets of prosthetics we would need and like finagle the numbers and stuff like that. I think we had like (laughs) one backup and that was it. (laughs) Anything happened. Yeah. We were really screwed. So, so it was, uh, so we just, carefully just finagle the budget and everything and I, I tried to do as much of it practically and then enhancing it later through visual effects but most of it is old school techniques um and she you know there was I think it was like two weeks before my my old crew know that I do this but about two weeks before we were supposed to be on set I had a freak out moment with uh Roxy and I was like <laughs> Roxy the mermaid's gonna melt like if she gets <laughs> everything's gonna fall off and she's like you don't think i'm a professional like this is literally what I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is why things are expensive and i'm like 
Yeah. So <laughs> That's I amazing. mean, assembling a team is like one of the biggest, hardest parts I would imagine of making an indie yeah. film. Like how do you go about cast, like pulling your team together and do sure. you, yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. Process. So the crew I'd been eyeing for a long time. So I, besides directing, I produce and first assistant direct and mm-hmm. Because of that, I work with a lot of different crew because I'm jumping from set to set to set. So I'm already, I've been like, have like having people in my mind for a while to Mm -hmm. finally be like, hey, creating the perfect team and then um, being able to execute that. So, like, uh, my production designer, Kelly Roxy, who I mentioned for, for the department head, they, were with me from the very first film that I ever made. Oh, wow. So that's okay. like 10 years ago. You know, like, they're still here, still. That's a good sign. Yeah, that is a good sign. You still want to work with me. We're still friends. In fact, my makeup department head, at Roxy, she's, we're roommates too. So, oh, very um, yes. cool. I, I moved to Los Angeles and, and moved in with them. So, um, it's so it's it's family it's our little film family basically and then the cast uh a lot of them i had already worked with and i wrote some of the roles specifically for the individuals so uh, diana rose plays ari um Mm i casted her in my short films uh elizabeth true plays uh, violet she was also in a few of my short films um courtney who plays my lead uh, for wendy i met her on a set where i first ad'd on had her audition for i think the biggest uh, jason kirkpatrick our villain i also worked with from a different set so it was really ursley which layla, who's layla that was the, a huge wild card for me um right. i had no clue who would be able to play this role whatsoever it was very stressful when we were casting this role because mm-hmm. she carries so much i mean the title is ursley so yeah. <laughs> yeah. so when she popped up on my radar i was just mesmerized by this you can feel this power this holier than thou power that she embodies mm-hmm. And I love that about her. I love that when she, the moment she appears, you feel like she's seen things that you've never seen before. She's who knows how old and is mm-hmm. wise. And, and though you, she's a benevolent goddess, you're not sure either. So yeah, yeah. she treads that line of like, do we, is she good or is she bad? And And I think that's the beauty of like, a goddess and a queen and and right. really a creature in general you just don't know right. yeah so they like transcend our morality <laughs> yes. yeah mm-hmm. yes so i had read that before the start of the pandemic you were actually planning on making a completely different film that was about first responders can you talk yeah. about why you changed course and sort of how you landed on doing a horror movie about a mermaid yeah super random um i'm actually not uh super uh, well-versed in genre films at all. Um, I watch some here and there, but like my, what I usually watch, uh, dramas and comedies, the comedy okay. aspect of thing came through. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. my past films have mainly been drama. And so the film I was going to do before is I would, I guess you would call it an Oscar bait film. So like whatever we get into Sundance, that kind of like dark, heavy subject matter and stuff like that. And, after while we were in the pandemic i'm like i don't know if anybody wants to sit through a serious film right now after this i feel like people just want to play and hang out with their friends and so that's why i switched gears to genre and also i think the beauty of genre films and the trajectory that i've seen them going especially with like get out and stuff like that is that you can actually still hide very deep messaging Mm -hmm. in unassuming genre and so mm-hmm. that's what I was set trying to do with Ursley, still in line with how, how I make films is just things with messaging, but this is just a popcorn fun. It's more fun. So you should drink a lot when you watch it too. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that really that. comes through. Yeah. I think that really comes through. And I, you know, I was, one of the things I love so much about it is also the, the, 
the way that you portray the friendships, you know, like they're each of these characters have been through some level of trauma. They've been, have these dark sort of backstories. And then the light in their life are these relationships they have with one another that like support and push each other. Was that important for you when you were making this film to include that kind of realistic friendship dynamic? Definitely. Um, I wanted to convey like the ride or die and I wanted women all over the world to be able to relate to, because I feel like most of us have this core group of like friends that like mm-hmm. we would do anything for. Mm-hmm. And I really want that it wanted that to come through. Uh, when we designed each of the character, I wanted each of the characters stand for something within us. Um, and hopefully like within your group of friends, you can relate mm-hmm. to, Oh, I'm a Wendy and an Ari or I'm an Ari. or I'm a, <laughs> yeah. you know, And, uh, each of the women actually represents um, a specific way in which we deal with trauma. Um, so mm. mental health is a very big aspect. And so uh, yes. W for Wendy is wisdom. So logical, uh, unemotional. Um, Ari, A is for avoidance. So she doesn't deal with her problem. And she does it yes. with hypersexuality and drinking and drugs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And you got V for Violet, which is vengeance. She's like, angry and passionate and like i want to do something i want to fight and then we've got f for Faye, and she's fear she's the mm-hmm. one that like hides and and right. you know is scared of her problems and 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 everything and so that was mental health like i said it was a really really big aspect of her film and I, we wanted to show realistic ways in which women are not perfect we have many things we're dealing with but those things that we're dealing with are what make us unique and interesting, Mm -hmm. you know? And I, and I find that unfortunately a lot of films out there have this very superficial portrayal of women. We're always perfect. We wake up, wake out, you know, we're, we're out of bed and we're perfect. And, you know, we don't have any problems. We don't have periods, but like, like (laughs) I want to show that like we fight, we we're friends, but we still fight, you know? And then Mm -hmm. we, we get upset. We have emotional, we're, you know, we're a mess, emotional mess sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, but that's what makes all of us special. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's well, I cool. love that there's like clear love and support between each other. And there's, there is, you know, also some conflict, but none of it is like horizontal hostility. Like there's no cat fighting amongst them. Um, right. And I think that you're not really all important. fighting about a man because right. like so many films are like, yep. they're all fighting over a dude, you know, it's right. not. Yeah, so right. fighting about their amongst their own differences, or just like protect, trying to protect each other, not knowing how to be there for each other. So, yeah. um, but that was intentional, and I'm, and I think for the most part, people who watched it can really feel that relation, that friendship, and that chemistry mm-hmm. between all the women. Uh, I forced them to all live in the same place together, so that might have helped. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah, three, three of the girls stayed at the the picture cabin, the cabin where the film takes place. So they actually where they are living in the loft and stuff is actually where they slept as well. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, yeah. so cool. That's a bonding so experience. Yeah, yeah. They're, all bonding. they're all friends still. And they have like their own chat, like things where they all hang out. So like, that makes me really happy that they, that this facilitated uh, genuine relationships between all these beautiful, strong women. So that's yeah, amazing. that's really lovely. There's also a very sweet queer love story in your film with two longtime friends finally kind of acting on this attraction to one another. And what I love about it is how silly and playful they were with each other. And then how the two friends come in and sort of notice something's going on and, you know, sweetly tease them about it. It's really Mm -hmm. lovely. Can you talk about writing and directing that scene and maybe why you wanted to include it? Yeah, I think the idea of queer love is something that, people shy away from. Um, and I think there is this strip, especially with, with commercial films, making it viable and stuff. I think people are scared to, mm-hmm. to, to show that I, with fear of like, Oh, we'll scare some of our audience away. And for me, like, I'm okay with that. I want to represent a community that I don't feel like is being represented well and i wanted to especially and i wanted to be playful because that's how love is and i feel like a lot of portrayal mm-hmm. of women on girl on girl i guess is hyper sexualized for the eyes yeah. Yeah. right and mm-hmm. it's it's just a 
it's love, it's friendship. It starts there. And I, I wanted to show like a real genuine um, love story mm-hmm. and uh, having tested it amongst different uh, communities. We just came from the California Murray convention and there were oh. uh, a lot of queer and uh, identifying folks. And that was one of the things that they were profusely thankful for is that like mm-hmm. so many, especially horror films, apparently that like, there is this underlying, you know, chemistry and it feels like things are going to happen, but they never do because then mm-hmm. they end up fighting over my man. Um, they're just like, finally something that like shows like that representation. And so mm-hmm. well, with directing it, it was really, it was easy. It was, they were already friends. Uh, Zoe and Elizabeth actually knew, knew each, each other prior to shooting um, so they worked with each other before. So um, I think that what you're seeing is genuine. And I just thought of like, just, just love and how we all fall in love and it starts yeah. with friendship and, and develops into more. And I, mm-hmm. I really wanted to to show that it's not like when there's girl and girl, it's just hot raunchy thing for, <laughs> you know, right. but like, I mean, that's okay too, but just a different kind of portrayal. Um, yeah. I mean, I appreciate the representation of queer joy. I think it's, like you said, it's not seen enough. And I thought that that was a really, really sweet, well-handled take on it. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there is a lot of light and a lot of fun and a lot of mythology in this, but there's also like a lot of, like you said, um, with films that are becoming a little bit more of like secret little social messages. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also quite a bit of dark content in this. And, um, you know, like we talk about domestic violence, there's self-harm, toxic levels of guilt, like things that are definitely things, you know? Um, Why did you, why were those the topics that you selected and wanted to focus on when you were creating the film? I think that's just, again, there's not a lot of representation of that on screen. Mm -hmm. And I think things like that need to be out there in light. So it's not hidden and it's not looked upon with shame. It's a, this is how life is. And we're all dealing with our all individual issues and there's nothing to be ashamed about, you know? And I think Hollywood has a tendency of like, let's only show shiny, cool things or like, let's skew the extreme opposite and show this thing, but it's awful and it's like shameful. And just wanted to show that it just exists. You know, if you notice, we don't really call, you know, like, um, phase self-harm we don't like fixate on it yeah, and yeah, we're not right. saying we don't have, have a giant monologue about how she did this and stuff like that it's there it just exists you know um mm-hmm. it's the same thing with like the diversity aspect and in the fact that the, there is a queer we touch upon it by showing that it exists but we aren't like beating people on the head and being like look right. like this is a problem and i think i think that's where we're missing in films is when we think representation, you know, and the need for it, we think that the way to get it is to like show the worst part about a certain culture so that people will, I guess, sympathize and mm-hmm. empathize and yeah. you know, want to pity it. And I don't think, right. I think if we show it where there's light and that it is, just part of our identity then mm-hmm. it's no longer this taboo subject matter if that does that make any sense yeah absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I, I think it makes a yeah. lot of sense to have it just sort of in the background that this is part of the reality and it, it does build mm-hmm. empathy without having to show all of the dark stuff you're right the tragedy yeah right. yeah right. exactly it also kind of reflects what it looks like you know what yeah. i mean you know if it's not your personal lived experience you only see like the top of the iceberg right so it would be exactly. it, it's a better reflection of reality to some degree yep. yeah, yeah. it's a glimpse of it it's how mm-hmm. you know you, you see so in in i kind of want a pov of like when you're amongst your friends they all know each other. So they mm-hmm. all know each other's dark secrets. So they wouldn't be like, Hey, how's that boyfriend of your, you know, ex of yours <laughs> yeah. stalking you? You know, right. like, no, they know, yeah. that, you know, yeah. so, so that was a fine line to dance around of like yeah. showing the audience without telling them because we have to see it with 
from a group of friends that know each other very, very well. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, no, that's so true, because a lot of films make the mistake of doing those exposition dumps. But just showing, for instance, her arm in a scene where you can tell there's old scars kind of tells you everything you need to know about how she's been dealing with trauma, mm-hmm. you know, without having audience. to go into yeah. a ton of detail. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there is also a very timely message in your movie about pollution and corporate greed and how that's poisoning our planet. Is that a topic that's close to your heart? And is that why you wanted to include it? Yeah. Um, the environment is, is very important to me. And also I, amongst the mermaid community as well. Um, <laughs> one of our greetings uh, at the broad, in fact, we partnered up with the coalition for restoration of coastal river. Uh, I think that's what it is called for new Orleans, but it's for environmental uh, protection, our um, the screening proceeds went to that organization. But um, I just think that calling again, calling action without in, in a, in a unobtrusive, I guess, messaging genre will make the message that much more easier to digest. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like you watch um, animation and there's, there's extremely dark topics and for some reason because it's in an animation it's like less scary to talk about yeah. it so yeah but like envi- yeah environmental aspects is very very um big and and it it is a problem amongst um our rivers and oceans and stuff like that so yeah, yeah. absolutely absolutely so we speak with a lot of women identified directors um who have talked a bit about sort of the challenges of being in this business and how that can be specifically for women who um, have you found that as a woman, it presents unique challenges for you. And how do you, how do you negotiate or navigate that? And do you feel like it's changing? Yeah, there's, it's def it's, there's still, unfortunately, major problems. Um, I used to not notice it as much because I, created my own environments as a director producer so Mm -hmm. a lot of the crew that i found were all people that are amazing and supportive of women and everything and i i am a champion for women uh behind and behind the camera and you know and Mm -hmm. so in the beginning when i was only making my own stuff i didn't really notice it it's when i started working on other people's sets and the sets got bigger that's Mm. when i started to notice that this was a huge problem um, how it usually manifests is I, I work as a first assistant director when I'm not directing and we get questioned a lot about our decisions mm-hmm. or about our expertise mm-hmm. on set. And a lot of that sometimes is a age gap sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like a, if I, I can see maybe like a 50 or 40 or 50 year old man may see me as a their teenage daughter telling them, what they're supposed to be doing and that may seem insulting to them but like Mm. it's a lot of that it's gotten to the point where i if i see it happening i have to find that guy there will be a guy on set that is a champion of women and i'll Mm -hmm. subtly be like hey can you go tell this person this one thing that i need done Uh, because if i say it they aren't going to listen to me so oh. that's happened multiple times. And I mean, it sucks. The labor. <laughs> it sucks. Because like, if I say something, then I'm bossy and a bitch right. and everything. But like, if he says it, then it's totally fine. And, and, and I think the way to change it is I've been very active in facilitating and seeing what women crew heads can I bring in and what women mm. can mm-hmm. I mentor that um, are women and stuff and also inviting crew men who support women, you know, and, and don't have that toxic masculinity aspect going on. So um, it, it's hard. (laughs) It's hard. And and now I'm seeing it translate a lot with um, the kind of films that get funding. And I think if people out there want to change it and have any interest in changing, Mm -hmm. it's support, giving funding to women who have stories that are unique Mm -hmm. and different and facilitating that. Um, I, and you know, when, when I have the means, that's my hope is I will be able to 
provide funding and help for women out there because it yeah, starts right. from the top. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that's where decisions are being made. That's where the money is. And unfortunately money, money makes the world go around and that's how mm-hmm. projects are seen and made. Um, right. It also starts with the audience as well. Uh, small film like ours, we don't have a huge, we don't we barely have a marketing budget at all. Uh, we, right. And it's been word of mouth. And I've been discouraging people like, hey, if you for reals want to see content that showcases women empowerment, diversity, LGBTQ, mm-hmm. you know, community and stuff like that, you need to tell other people to watch the film so that it shows supply and demand, right? So if there's yeah, demand yeah. that makes it a mainstream thing. I've been told by distributors, like, you need to make something that's more mainstream, you know, that's easier to sell because this to mm-hmm. them is niche. So <laughs> right. I'm like, but I don't want it to be niche. I feel yeah. like there needs to be somebody who who steps and, and takes a risk so that yes. it becomes mainstream. That's right. what I would love it to be is I want this kind of content to become part of our everyday. It no longer is mm-hmm. niche, you know? Yeah, Why right. is showing queer love on film niche, you know? So, yeah. or women niche. I think I yeah. was like, don't, we're not sure we want to see women on screen talk about their problems. I'm oh just boy. Like, oh. We're only over half the population. <laughs> <laughs> Who could possibly yeah. want to watch that? Who could possibly want to watch that? I know. I'm like, ridiculous. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I really like what you said about funding, too, because, you know, mm-hmm. Rachel and I, through doing this podcast, have noticed this real upswing in the number of movies made by women-identified directors in the last couple of years. But all but maybe two of them that I can think of are indie movies and projects that are largely self-funded. They're not getting okay. those big funding dollars that most of the male, you know, directors they get. get. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I recently listened to a podcast on how I built this with Ava DuVernay, and she said with her experience, when she won Sundance, she got crickets. Like, no, nobody reached out wow. to her to direct anything. I mean, Selma was a independent film, you know, yeah. and uh, a low budget into her, well, low budget, but like, <laughs> yeah. for, for low budget for her because nobody wanted wanted to touch it because it was not big enough budget but like Jeez. prior to her winning there was a, a male that won sundance and he got asked to direct like the next marvel f- i don't i can't mm-hmm. remember yep. they just yeah. hand out marvel films yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like she said something that i i really um identify with she's like she's tired she has to form a, a uh, uh, commu- she has to form like an organization and, you know, things about diversity and all these things just to, so she can direct. And that's how I right. feel. I am, yeah. I'm an event planner. I run a photo booth now. I have a social <laughs> media manager. I have to do all these things just for the opportunity to mm-hmm. be able to direct and show my films when like most, sadly, most men, white males don't have to do. They get yeah, somebody yeah. who's like, yeah, I'll produce your film. Here's $3 million. I'm sitting there like, and then I, I know because I help to AD a lot of these mm-hmm. new directors. And I'm just like, how did you get this opportunity? I've feel, I've directed like 50 more films than you have, but you know, what's, what do yeah. I know? You know? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. There's all those annoying. extra layers of work that you have to do to get anywhere. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And having the purse strings, you effectively can silence people. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's it's not okay. I'm always so impressed by the hustle of women working in film. But I also, at the same time, I'm like, you know, they shouldn't have to, you know? Yeah. Both of those things are true. Yeah. It's it's a lot of sacrifice. You know, it is fun and I love it. And Mm -hmm. I wouldn't choose any other profession, but it is a sacrifice. And the sacrifice is like... I don't date, I don't go out, I don't, you know, do normal, fun, human things. I'm home editing, marketing, doing 50 hats so that I have the opportunity to continue to do what I do, you know, and hopefully when it becomes more mainstream, you Mm -hmm. know, then I won't have to do that, you know, or the next generation, maybe that will be more you know, will help yeah. them as well. But whatever will continue to change Hollywood, you know, I'm all for it. So 
Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So we know that you sort of wrote a book about how to be a filmmaker, but yeah. do you have any additional advice out there for young women who want to direct, but maybe feel like they can't, don't have the opportunities? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that you just have to do, like, I hate to, to say the obvious, but you kind of just have to do it yourself. I think the yeah. reason why I've been able to do it is because I've created my own opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have found my team. I, I raised the money uh, for yeah. this. You know, I didn't have somebody that raised the money for me. I, I went out and made a pitch deck and pitched to like so many people and got made this, created this opportunity for myself. And I think, you know, you can't wait for it to happen especially mm-hmm. if you're a woman filmmaker out there, you, you need to create those opportunities yourself. And I think people get so boggled with, I have to have the right camera. I have to have the right lights. I have to have this yeah. perfect scenario, but in mm-hmm. the end, that's you're doing yourself a disservice because there's never going to be the perfect budget or the perfect anything at all, mm-hmm. especially in the very beginning. Um, I did not have the perfect budget. It was really <laughs> I mean, I started off wanting 15 days. I had 11 days of shooting, you know, and, but I made it work. I had mm-hmm. so many people on sets, you know, because it was very hard and it was out of love. Say, maybe you should have raised more money. I'm like, maybe I should have raised more money. Maybe I wouldn't have a film at all right now. <laughs> right, yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> you know? So it's like, you, you make it work and you have to just figure out if that means you have to take an editing class and learn how to do that or figure, figure that out or um, do some of the legwork yourself in terms of scheduling or whatever. Like you just mm-hmm. got to do it. I didn't sign up to be a social media marketing manager or an event planner, but I am. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's what I'm doing. Whatever it takes. <laughs> that's amazing. I can't believe you filmed this in 11 days, too. Yeah, that's that, wild. That's wild. I, I was only able to do it, yeah, because I had an incredible crew. Yeah. Who mm-hmm. knew how I worked. Uh, who had worked with me before a lot of them had. And then I, I really credit it to my many years of experience as a assistant director. So mm-hmm. uh, I planned the crap out of this, like plant smart. <laughs> yeah. Every single scene was shot listed to, to a detriment. My DP was like, maybe you should involve me when you do the, 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 the Yeah. So very like bridezilla. You know, I was just like, <laughs> yeah, every little detail I was like very heavily involved with. And I don't, I see this with a lot of directors. That's not super common. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of directors like to, you know, take a, but I've take a stance, you know, and let, let the pros do it or whatever. But I, because of where I started, um, I started in documentaries. And then after, after documentaries, I, wanted to be a YouTube star for a little bit. Oh, okay. That was very short. But uh, <laughs> I, I shot, filmed, edited, did every single aspect of everything in the earlier days. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I have an understanding across the board of every single position. So that's why, and also out of necessity, I didn't want to waste my friend's time. So okay. if it meant like me putting the extra hours to, to, to do the work because it's my time and not their time because I can't compensate them for the time that they're doing, I'm okay to do that. And, and a lot of it came out of that. Like, it's just my time. I can sacrifice my time, but I understand like I have so many talented friends. I don't want them to not be compensated right fairly for the time that they've provided and so many people like gave me their time and for that i'm so grateful for and that is why this film is in existence right now so yeah yeah Yeah. i definitely identify with that i totally know exactly what you're saying but i think you know the proof is in the film right you made it you made it happen it's out people can see it people can enjoy it there's plenty to enjoy in it they're gonna have a really great time with it and i think that's that's amazing every movie yeah. is a miracle i'm sorry it's incredible yes. <laughs> it's a miracle. It's so, 
You said yeah. you are basically your marketing department and yes. you've probably been doing a lot of interviews. Uh, is there anything that has not come up that you'd hope to either talk about, about the filmmaking experience or the film itself that just people maybe missed and, and you'd like to, to discuss? Uh, I don't want to do any spoilers, but uh, I I took a lot of lessons from Jaws, actually. Um, Jaws didn't show the shark very much because mm-hmm. of the environment limitations. And this was kind of like that. Um, yeah. The the property itself, uh, I wrote 60% of it to take place on this beach. And I would say 60% of the time, the beach was not there. It was flooded. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah, it was flooded. Yeah. Oh, don't write your film <laughs> in a swamp or a swamp that takes place at night. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nice. yeah so, I didn't even think that swamp has tides, but I guess it maybe it does. Oh my gosh. I didn't think that either. But, uh, <laughs> we got there and my, uh, my AD Matt and I would go every morning. We would go to the river and be like, well, are we shooting these scenes or not? <laughs> Mother says, no. Okay, let's figure out what else we can shoot. Yeah. Because, oh, wow. Yeah, the beach that it was on, um, when we first arrived, we had a, a week of prep on site. The beach was there. We rehearsed. We did all the stunts. We were like, okay, oh, we're going to no. be here. The, and most of the time, the beach was not there at all. So on the we pushed the finale scene to the very last day because we had to shoot it, and like half the beach was there. <laughs> so I had to throw out everything that I had rehearsed and reblock oh, wow. everything on the fly, and uh, and make it work. So I think it adds to the film. I know that it may, you know. Th- I don't know. I think I think working creatively around your problems can sometimes mm-hmm. yield some gems to the film. But yeah, but yes, it was uh, it frustrating was on set. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, amazing! It was incredible that you were able to think on your toes that way, though, and make the switch up so quickly because you had such limited time to do it in. So yeah, it was survival mode. Yeah, the whole time it was like fight or flight. I chose to fight. <laughs> really hard. Yeah, and I I credit to my um, many years of a as an AD kind of have to problem mm-hmm. solve a lot, and so yeah, um, and it helps that I edit as well. I sure. edited the film, so I was cutting in my head. Um, like, well, fix it and, in post. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think a good for any um, filmmakers, indie filmmakers, uh, a tip I would recommend is have an on-site assemblist or on-site editor. Um, oh, we had a great one, Colby Dollar. Um, he lived in this little tiny cabin on-site, and all the footage would always go to him as the footage was being done, and he would edit it. And so at the end of the shooting day, I would go over and I would be able to watch how like everything and what was great about that was i could immediately tell if we were missing something wow and so because of that i was able to work through and throw in uh pickups as we went and and everything and that made it very very um efficient and then at the very end of the shoot i had a full film like technically cut together you know, Amazing. obviously, all the things we had to go do later, sure. I had to go do, but like just having that one, it would give me new energy because I would see it and be like, that worked, you know, like, <laughs> I'm an idiot, you know, it, in my mind, I thought it would work, but it's it's something else to see it on screen and be like, okay, we have something, you know, yes, so that absolutely. was fun and exciting to see. And, uh, it was my favorite part would be, you know, we'd wrap, you know, some of the crew cast would eat and drink and stuff like that. And when they went to bed, I go to knock on Colby's door and be like, let's watch, and I'd sit and watch what we shot and pat myself on the back. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can keep doing this. This is not, this is not a, 
complete disaster. So. <laughs> no, that's really cool to get that immediate feedback like that. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That, I would I would before. highly suggest that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Great advice. Good advice. Yes. <laughs> so what's up next for you? I read that you want to maybe make some more mermaid movies. Is that true? Yeah. So I mean we it's uh definitely a sequel. There's a sequel in the making. Ooh. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's it lives in my head and my co-writers and I all like randomly on long I've been been doing lots of road tripping touring this film and I'll just be like hey I want the mermaid to have this and this and their own language and all this other stuff and so like we're so we've been going back and forth um hopefully more and more so we want to write the the sequel we we know it will take a budget this this Mm -hmm. next sequel is the way that if it's anything close to what I'm seeing is big budget so i don't know if it's how immediate it's going to be but um that is in the in the works um okay I might go back to the film that i originally was going to make as well um it also is a political commentary um especially with what's going on that just happened recently um yeah the film is uh, a ptsd amongst first responders taking place one year mm. after the uh uh, the responders responding to a high school mass shooting. So, gotcha. yeah. Yeah. so yeah, so I, I, I think I, because a documentary filmmaker, I just, I feel like I can say something, you know, and yeah, yeah. the best way that I know how to say something, make an impact is put our trash out in the world for people to see, like, these are problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are we going to do to fix them? Yeah. So, yeah. And sadly, it seems like it will be timely whenever you put it out. Yes. Sadly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Um, if listeners want to follow along and keep up with what you're up to, where can they find you on social media? Yeah. So I have, for the film, our own social media, which is Ursley Film. Um, and then my production company is Moth to Flame Films on Great IG and those things. And then me personally, if you really want to follow me, uh, C C H E N C C H E N, and then M T F because Moth to Flame. So okay, um, great. But I'm yeah, I'm pretty active on like IG and stuff. Like, I've I've had to be. Although I I keep I tell my co-producer like after this like I want to like never see a Facebook's you know Instagram <laughs> story. <laughs> I'm annoyed at myself for how much oh. I've had to be on social media. <laughs> you are hilarious. This has been so much fun. The movie is great. It's out now on video on demand. You should check it out immediately. Um, I cannot wait to see what you did next. Uh, thank you so much, so much for taking the time to chat yeah, with us today. Yeah, thank you. Nina, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So Anytime, anytime. All right. So th- I don't know about you, but I just had a really great time. Yeah, she's awesome. I mean, mm-hmm. she answered all of our questions so well, especially the ones about advice for filmmakers. I mean, she gave yes. such great advice and also the detailed way that she talked about how women are treated on film sets. I mean, it's, I know that this is true because we've heard it from multiple directors at this point, yeah. but it still just blows yeah. my mind um, how terribly people are still, these women are still treated, you know? Yeah. It's a reminder that even though outwardly we're seeing more and more movies directed by, by women and I'm not complaining because I love it. I think it's amazing. Yeah. But as much as we have moved forward, that there's still a lot of <laughs> room to grow and a lot of things that need to change. And uh, hearing it from the inside is, is a good reminder that even though it looks better from the outside, we're not there yet. Yeah, we're not there yet. And there is still that power dynamic of like he who holds the strings or the purse strings, you know, yeah, really does have the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I know we're talking about film is art, but at the end of the day, film is also commerce. Film is also capitalism. Yeah. So like there is that aspect of it and it can be used like benignly. It could be used just, you know, out of, but it can also be weaponized. And I wouldn't be surprised if there are some people out there that are actively not giving women Um, money. So I would imagine. So that's where hopefully, you know, things like Kickstarter and us come in to like highlight. Yeah. These women filmmakers who are out there hustling, hustling. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing is just how much Mm -hmm. she's hustled and how she got this film made. 
it's so impressive mm-hmm. in the way that she talked about doing all the special effects and the la- you know the lack of time she had yes. to film all of it and you know the constraints of having a beach that kept disappearing <laughs> it was all really interesting some of the best stuff is like how when things go wrong yeah. right like here yeah. i didn't i did not know that there was such thing as a swamp tide i so did not either <laughs> But I also love the the story of like how they broke down yeah. to uh, <laughs> a prosthetic, the number of prosthetics that they had in scenes and <laughs> so were able crazy. to kind of at the end. end up, <laughs> it's wild. It's wild. She's like hard on herself for being so detailed, but like. It's paid off. Seems like, like it paid off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I, she's funny too. I, you mm-hmm. can really, after having spoken with her, like I can see her sense of humor in the in film. In the film. Like, yeah, same. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I'm excited to see the sequel. I'm excited to see what she does next. Yeah. I mean, if she wants to, I know that in one interview she was talking about, and she mentioned this in our interview with her, making more than just one mermaid film, like doing multiples. And having, mm-hmm. you know, different cultural influences. And that sounds pretty rad. I mean, we've only gotten a couple of mermaid kind of horror movies over the years. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see more of them. <laughs> I think it's a pretty great idea. Yeah. yeah, that's actually reminds me of one more thing I want to talk about was how much work went into being culturally sensitive yeah. and culturally aware. Because one of the things I love about this movie is that it introduces us to a new kind of mythology, right? Mm-hmm. Like anytime we get... A, a monster or a horror film that's rooted in culture that is not we're accustomed to like that's interesting to me it's fresh it's a reminder of why having new perspectives is so important like the world is full of things that we have not explored yep. that we have not been exposed to that are interesting and valid and I want them but at the same time there's the other side of that that when it's not handled well it's incredibly disrespectful and it's more harmful than it actually is positive and so to know how much work she put in to make sure that that was not the case really I think is really special and really interesting and I was I loved hearing about it yeah I loved hearing too that the actor that played Ursley also went into took classes to learn Creole I mean that's such above and beyond but that she was able to then add in like language for the different rituals and stuff is really cool yeah I mean I do 15 minutes of Duolingo a day and I feel like a saint (laughs) (laughs) and I'm just learning Spanish (laughs) Uh, this was fun. I love doing this with you. Let's yeah, do this forever, too. Ariel. Okay. Sounds good. Deal. All right. I'm sold. Good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. So I hope you enjoyed that interview. We had so much fun doing it. She is brilliant and exciting and interesting and the film is great you should check it out it is on video on demand now so you can get it on all of the major platforms you can get through amazon voodoo apple what yep. is it yeah apple <laughs> anymore it's apple like broke, TV like weirdly yeah i guess apple tv I don't know. It's weirdly siloed. Yeah. Like iTunes used to be everything. And now I have like eight apps on my laptop. I'm like, this feels excessive. excessive. Uh-huh. Annoying. And unnecessary. Yes. Yes. And now it's like a weird tentacle of like eight-legged Apple <laughs> products on my computer. Anyway, this is a rant for another day that has nothing to do with this movie, even though it was an aquatic uh, That's metaphor true. that I just made. So I feel like I'm... See the connection. Slightly <laughs> I'm flirting with being on theme. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, so check it out. It's on video on demand now. Anything else before we wrap up, Ariel? No, I think that's Ms. it. Ariel? Awesome. Okay, well, if you are enjoying the show, which we hope you are, you should definitely drop us a line and let us know. Or if you have questions or movies you think we should be covering, whatever the case may be, you can always reach us at rachel at zombiegirls.com. That's G-R-R-L-Z.com. You can come chat with us over on the Facebook page, or you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ZG Podcasts, plural. You can see all the great stuff that Ariel is there posting. We are in Pride Month. So you should definitely be following us because you can keep track of all of the amazing content creators and filmmakers and films that are coming out this year or that are are working hard all the time to make amazing content who are um, members of the LGBTQ community. Plus Pride Month is just awesome. So definitely follow us there to see all of that. Check out, if you want something to watch tonight and you've already watched Ursley, check out our video on demand and streaming calendar on the Zombie Girls website. There's all kinds of spooky doings that are constantly coming out on streaming as well as on video on demand. Who can keep track of them? Me. So come check it out. (laughs) And if you want to rep us, we do have merch. You should check out our merch at zombiegirls.com. But most importantly, if you want to support us, 
The two best ways are to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, one of those mini Apple products, uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you're getting your podcasts. Means a lot to us personally, but also it's really great for the show. Or you can support us on Patreon. What did I say? Or and you can support us on Patreon. What? Por qué no los dos? See, look at look at how this duo is coming off. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com for zombie girls. We just had an amazing live show. We've had some really fun extended episodes. We have extended episodes on every uh, show on the network. You can check those out. Uh, if you are a patron, you can go back and listen to all those old episodes. There's lots of really great content. Lots of questionable content. Lots of shameful content you lots of oversharing on my part <laughs> i mean on all of our parts. <laughs> as soon as that paywall drops i'm like so let me tell you about my butthole um <laughs> just kidding not really <laughs> no but i look um, forward to you adding that <laughs> <laughs> anyway um to get extended episodes bonus episodes our live episodes all kinds of good stuff on the patreon all right that's enough plugging what do you say we get the heck out of here and let these people move on with their lives? Yeah. Ariel, take us out. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of More Deadly Director's Cut. We hope you loved our interview with Christine Chen. She's amazing. Make sure you check out her film, Ursley, and uh, we'll catch you for our next interview. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thanks to everyone for listening, and thanks to my co-host Ariel, who's always willing to come on here and geek out about horror with me. And finally, thanks to the women who make the horror films we love so much. Production of this episode was done by yours truly, editing was done by Ariel Missman Rucker, and our theme song, More Deadly, was by Elizabeth Kyle and Eric Newell.